Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome once again to Ecclesia. Uh, my name is Bertram. Just one of the guys who assists um, assist the pastors here. And thank God for the opportunity that we all have to share and sit down and feed richly, deeply from God's word. Because um, there isn't, there isn't anything more sumptuous and better for us to enjoy that God has provided for even in this. This is, of course, all in the way of continuing in fellowship with him. Um, for a while now, we've been in, the, in a series called Superman HD, studying the gospel according to John, and today we continue in that. It was really wonderful um, just listening to last week's sermon and I was quite encouraged by that. And I hope that today we also um, are encouraged with what God has to share and um, feed us with out of his word. Just before uh, we go into that, can I just invite us to a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, um, we thank you because you, Lord, have set in your heart before the foundations of the world to save us. You've made provision, a very rich provision in yourself. <laughs> Coming, taking on our nature and making atonement for us. Making it possible, Lord, that we can stand before you. Uh, and this is a free gift. Not something for which we have to save, put a lot of money or righteous works aside, and then come up to you to pay for what we can't afford. Lord, we thank you for this um, privilege. And as we continue to consider this today, Lord God, I just ask for your grace uh, to speak your word, to speak what is apt for everyone who's here, to speak what is apt, Lord God, for everyone who's not here as well, but who needs to know about this provision that you've made in Jesus. So, Lord, um, guide us today through your word and um, teach us what you will have us here. Again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as I said, we're continuing in, in our study of John, and today we come to chapter 12, and we're looking at verses 12 to 22. Um, John chapter 12 and verses 12 through to 22. It'd be useful for us to track and um, follow along, to have our Bibles open to John chapter 12, and if I can ask us to do that just now. And then we will read through the text we're considering together. Is everyone there? Is anybody not there yet? John chapter 12, verses 12 to 22. Okay. I'm going to read from the um, ESV. I actually thought to ask... 
the congregation to just all let's all read together and um, read one verse at a time. But then I know, <laughs> I know this is something that read one verse at a time. I see one person reads a verse twelve, thirteen, and what, what were you thinking? <laughs> Yeah, no, go South London. <laughs> All right, let's read John chapter 12 from verse 12. Now, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. I'm not going to be of an echo on this. I don't know if we can just quite, if there's anything you can do to dampen that a bit. Right. As we consider this passage today, um, I decided to title this, The World Goes to the Saviour. I mean, if you recall, in the last uh, couple of weeks in looking at John, we've seen in these accounts that um, the Pharisees or Jewish leaders, leaders of Jews, have had very ser- serious and intense plots to kill Jesus, to have him executed, to take him out. As if to, look, stop Jesus growing in popularity. Because John's account, as we have been, as we, as we've been seeing, is one that John has selected um, several signs to show that Jesus is the Christ and show that he's the Son of God. With the aim of bringing us to, or bringing the readers to, uh, come to believe that he is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, or sent and chosen one of God, and from believing to get to have a life through him. And Jesus, over the previous chapters as we've seen, each time John gives an account of a sign, he also gives an account of the responses that Jesus has had or that people have given to these signs. And in most cases, 
people seeing the signs of Jesus look in wonder, go to Jesus believing, wow, this is the Christ. And beyond that, you find those who are opposed to Jesus, the ruling um, Jewish leaders coming out to confront Jesus, to oppose Jesus rather than believe in him. And you see that kind of jostling or tussling going on throughout John. And here, things come to um, a point where Jesus is, having been away from Jerusalem for quite a while, now makes his way to Jerusalem. In this, we begin to see a certain and determined route, a certain and determined path, a certain and determined progress Jesus is making directly now, head-on, going into Jerusalem and eventually heading to his crucifixion. From chapter, in chapter 12, right to the end of John, it's a very short period of time um, compared to the rest of John. Very short period of time. Uh, we read last week at the beginning of um, this passage when, when uh, Mr. Kanigi took us through um, the supper at Bethany that it was just six days before Passover. And that would be the Passover where Jesus is eventually crucified. A very short period of time. Passover, the, the, the Feast of Passover usually was, was one that, would, that the celebrations would last um, a very, it would last they, they, they were to, to observe Passover for, for a, a week at the most. And here, the rest of the account, just the rest of the, the book of John just gives us this summary uh, from chapter 12 onwards. And it's a determined path into Jerusalem and to the cross. So here we see Jesus has entered Jerusalem and this account is one that's also commonly described as a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And as we begin to look at the passage, a few questions just come to mind. A few questions just come to mind. We see John describing these events and talking about a large crowd who had come to the feast in verse 12. Large crowd who had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And they began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Question. I remember standing here and telling us about the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 7, where the children of Israel were, 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 were commanded by God to observe this feast where they would come for a week and dwell in booths or tents, our modern-day equivalent of tents, but made from palm, palm fronds or branches of trees, and they would dwell in those tents. And I looked at this passage and thought, wait a minute, what do palm trees have to do with Passover? I thought this was Passover, not the Feast of Tabernacles. Why are these guys bringing 
palm trees out. And straight away, uh, it prompted me to have a look and see what is this all about. Well, search through the Bible, I couldn't find anything that where God instructs or commands palm trees be brought or palm fronds be brought to the Feast of Passover. Rather, it was a feast where they would come together. If you remember, a household would group together and have a feast of bitter herbs, have a feast of roast lamb, whole roast lamb. The whole house would share the lamb and eat everything. But no mention of palm branches. But here's what's going on. Let me use an illustration to explain the point. I'm from Nigeria. Any Nigerians here? <laughs> Not too long ago, we had an election in Nigeria. And um, there was a candidate who was tipped to win. Everybody's favorite. Everybody's favorite? We're the Nigerians. We're not represented anymore. Okay, they're not, they're not interested in Nigerian politics. <laughs> I've been watching that closely, as some of, you might, some of you might have observed on Twitter. Well, here's this guy, um, a retired general who's ruled the country before, known for being a very disciplined guy. In fact, Nigeria's been praying for that praying for a strong hand, one who would come and rule and give the country the kind of direction it needs. This is a sort of um, expression being made here. Now, General Buhari wins the elections, and the, the moment the elections, the results are announced, whoa, people are out on the streets with all kinds of things in their hands, some with branches of trees, some with brooms, the party, the party symbol, hanging out of windows and doors of cars, hanging off the ends of motorbikes and just jubilating, celebrating real hard and strong. Um, you could say that these people at this time were a crestfallen nation. As I I've mentioned here before, they were a nation who were, they had been, they were God's elect, God's chosen people. These people had promises of God. They had covenants with God. But all of, they were just a shadow of what the kind of nation that God would have them be. And to have someone who's, listen, spiritual rulers, those who were in charge of, of, of their religious system couldn't even catch this guy's trail. He performed signs. Many signs that disciples had seen. And one of which John spends a good, a good amount of, um, of, of, of this text talking about. And they've seen signs. And here is Jesus now coming to Passover, coming to Jerusalem for Passover. Just on the, in the wake of a sign he'd recently done. 
And these guys were hoping and looking for salvation. Now here is one who is worth celebrating. Here is one who is worth welcoming. Here is one who is worth placing all their hopes and dreams for their nation in. This is what was actually going on here. Because, as we'll see, these people decide to acknowledge and declare their need for salvation. Now, they've come for Passover. It's a feast that uh, God had given Israel to mark their deliverance. To mark the deliverance from years of slavery. Redemption out of Egypt. God was known by that name. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who delivered you out of Egypt. This was the occasion. But here is a savior now coming to Passover. Someone who could actually, who in their eyes, at least in the eyes of the common man, the guy on the streets, this guy looks like he can give us, he can help us realize our hopes and our dreams of this redemption being fulfilled, brought to pass again. This is what's going on here. And indeed, there are ways in which we <laughs> long to have such desires fulfilled for us. I mean, think about them, a crestfallen nation. I know every Nigerian wants the good of Nigeria. And I know everyone who lives, who's ever born into this world. After the part, with the passing of time, you get to a point where you just, ah, oh, man, is this what life is all about? Is this what life is like? If life's like this, man, gee, I wish I was never born. I've heard that said before many times. Even from people from whom you least expect would make such statements. You think, come on, what do you know about life for you to say that? But, hey, that's how it is. Well, here is one who Scripture talks about him and says, the whole of creation waits in earnest expectation for the manifestation of the children of God. God has set it that way. But you know what? Here's the thing that gives us, that God points out to us here in this passage as well. He has given us a savior. He has given us one in whom we can place all those hopes and expectations. He has given us one on whom we can really rest who calls to us to say, come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden. Come, you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. So, in identifying with this crowd, indeed, we, we would do well to go to this Savior when we acknowledge our need 
for this salvation. There's every temptation, and the world teaches us as well, to try and work things out in our strength. Teaches us to try and work things out in our ability. We can trust in our degrees. We can trust in our money. We can trust in our beauty or the things that we have rather than in Christ. But guess what? With all of these things, the same Savior in the gospel that he preaches to us reminds us that, you know, we can have the whole world, but yet one thing is even most important, our souls, and it's come to bring salvation even for our souls. So, these guys do well to acknowledge the Savior even as they come to Passover. Even as they come to a feast that just seems to have been one that keeps the people in bondage. Because year after year, we'd go to this feast, we'd offer the sacrifices, we'd share in the lamb, we'd share in the bitter herbs. But we'd come back again with a sense of uh, we're coming to do this again. Well, here is one who brings true salvation, who brings true hope, and we can identify with this crowd in welcoming Jesus, in receiving Christ, in receiving God's provision. Now, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, and they began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Bring salvation now, essentially is what Hosanna is saying. Bring salvation now. Bring salvation now. And they recognize the Savior as the one who God brings. Um, curious, one question, another question came up about this passage. Is this the same crowd of people who before now had not believed in Jesus Christ? Is this the same crowd of people who before now had believed in Jesus Christ for less than what Jesus has to offer? You might recall that earlier on in John we found this crowd of people or another crowd of people coming to Jesus Christ being fed over 5,000 and more being fed from a little, I, I can't remember who, 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 who described it as a happy meal. <laughs> but they all got fed and decided, let's make this guy king. Let's make this guy king. It's, a, it's basically the same people, just like us. Men just like us with desires and yearnings for, yes, someone who will meet our need, someone who will provide for us. But God has bigger things in mind to provide for. Now, this account is, is, is one that is contained in all of the Gospels. Um, and there, the, the welcome of the Lord Jesus, of, of Jesus into Jerusalem is... is uh, something that's attested to by both by Matthew, by Mark, by Luke as well. And just like this crowd, we would do well also to acknowledge what God provides 
in providing Jesus. What has God actually done here? At Passover, as I mentioned earlier on, these people remember that God brought them out of Egypt. But here, Christ or Jesus has come and is preaching a gospel, preaching a good news, which, is, which makes him, Jesus, the object of their salvation. Which makes Jesus the object of, the, of their salvation. But we'll develop that in, 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 a, in a few moments. Let's read on from verse 16 and look at the um, second point in this message. First, we do well to acknowledge our need of salvation. Now, we'll do well to acknowledge that God provides Jesus Christ for us. From verse um, 16, we read, I'll go back to verse 14, I beg your pardon. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's coat. These things his disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. At this point, I really honestly got stumped. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, John, are you saying that those who were close to Jesus didn't understand what exactly was unfolding or what was going on? Are you saying it wasn't clear to Peter, to James, to John, what was happening here? Well, as it is, we see John saying exactly that here. These things the disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. Again, just like the expectation, the general expectation was, wait a minute, we have someone who can help us realize our dreams, our hopes. What did these hope for? What, did these, what were they looking for in, in a savior? What were they looking for in Jesus? Were they expecting a savior or a king who would come and lay his life down? Who would come and uh, enter in but submit himself? Like scripture talks about Jesus coming like a lamb before its sharer, who is silent, he went and he offered himself. He gave his life as a sacrifice for sin. Is this what people would expect of a savior? Would we not rather expect, look at verse 15, 14 and 15, Jesus finding a young donkey sat on it. The other gospel accounts um, attest to Jesus actually making arrangements, sending his disciples to go find a young donkey. In fact, he directed them specifically to where they would find it. And 
gave instructions. Get that donkey. Get that um, the, the colt of the donkey. This is a donkey that hasn't even been ridden. A young thing. Bring it to me. He'd made these arrangements. And these were in fulfillment of a prophecy that God had spoken concerning the Savior. How he would come to Israel. How he would come to um, the daughter of Zion. Your king is coming, seated on a donkey's coat. Now, I can't think of any, any other illustration than, I mean, this morning I was thinking about Zorro. Anybody familiar with Zorro? Okay, I hear a few sneakers, sneakers in, the, in, the, in, the, in the hole. Always comes in riding on his, on his horse, on his stallion. A strong thing, like, you know, he could, he could give the thing instructions to, to stamp down on any in his way. In fact, that, <laughs> that, that thing knew, 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 knew the man like anything. Anyway, lest I digress. But a victor would come in on a steed, on a stallion, not on a donkey's coat. What's he, coming to do? What's he coming in to do on a donkey's coat? A king? Please. Nothing like what anyone expected. Nothing like what anyone hoped for. A victor who would come in and, in their context, take out Roman oppression, take out Roman occupation, abolish this, this tax system, I don't know if you feel that way here. <laughs> I am not preaching that. <laughs> but um here he was coming to bring in salvation, but not in a manner that anyone expected. But this was according to God's plan. And this was according to God's even revealed plan. In Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, this is mentioned that he would come in riding on a donkey's colt. Well, so it's no surprise these guys did not understand these things. They did not understand him being received into Jerusalem because they had formally warned Jesus Jesus these Jews wanted to kill you there just now one time Jesus made a foray back into Judea going back to um, going back to Bethany re re regarding Lazarus who was ill and they warned Jesus you're going back into this area where these guys want to kill you there's a job out on your head. But you're going back there. Well, he decides to go back in. And these things they wouldn't understand until Jesus was glorified. A term John introduces for us here. But nevertheless, weak, unimpressive, as this Savior might be, this is God's provision for salvation. 
This is God's provision for us. Let me say something about this today. You know, it's, um, it's a bit... I don't know whether you feel this way about Christianity or about the faith and the gospel that we preach. You see, there are, I've, 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 been out there on, I've been out there and met people who would say, well, listen, bruv, I'm a better Christian than you. How can people make so much nonsense and rubbish about Jesus and you guys just sit down there and do nothing about it? How can people just blaspheme Jesus' name and you guys sit down there and take it? They make fun of his name on telly, make fun of his name in soaps, make fun of his name in all kinds of ways. And you just sit back. In fact, you're so laid back, you just get walked all over. Well, that might seem like weakness. But you know what? Even the weak things that God has chosen, he's chosen them to shame them that think themselves strong. Guess what? We believe in a Savior who is crucified. We believe in a Savior who gave his, who offered his life willingly, even though he had the power to deliver himself. He was taunted on the cross, as we will see later on in John. Oh, you had the power to heal. You had the power to raise the dead. Well, come now. Come down off the cross. Come on. Get down. You're the Savior. But here is the Savior as God has provided. I've heard that phrase, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Here, now, yes. Submitted to the will of God. But wait till you see that Savior glorified. Wait till you see that Savior. I haven't seen or heard of any Savior who died. Who actually got, if I borrow the phrase Pastor Ephraim used a couple of weeks ago, he didn't see decay like Lazarus. Lazarus was, as Pastor Ephraim put it, stinking dead. But yet, this one is the resurrection and the life. And he lays his life down and he declares, I have the power to take it up again. This is the Savior God's provided. And I tell you what, um, just like these who did not understand, did not appreciate what these things that uh, were done to Jesus Christ or these things that were written of him at the time, because remember, this is before he got crucified. Um, we would do well to see and acknowledge the kind of provision that God has made for us in Jesus Christ. It is one that looks weak, but is yet most powerful. It is one that looks unimpressive, but yet none compares to him. Raised from the dead, find me another savior like that. Find me another savior like that. Find me one. There is none like him. And this is God's provision for us. 
So, um, we see that this is God's provision for us, and we would do well to receive this provision, even as God has made it. You will face challenges, again, like I said, of people who would tell you that your Savior is weak, people who would tell you that your Savior is timid, people who would tell you that your Savior is... I don't see how that makes sense. How can you believe in a Savior who dies on the cross? How can you believe in a Savior who doesn't command these people to take authority and rule in the affairs of men? But this is not the Savior God has provided. We will do well to see the one who God has provided and take and place our trust in him. Now, onto the point that John made and stressed about this sign. Um, we would do well in going to our Savior, we would do well to bear witness and acknowledge the witness that God gives of him as well, depending on where we are in relation to him. In verses 17 and um, 18, we see again the people who were with him that's people who were with Jesus when he raised Lazarus from the dead. That was, that was um, a couple of weeks ago. When he raised Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to testify about him. They continued to tell about him. This is in Jerusalem during Passover. Now, uh, one, one contemporary writer of the time estimated on one occasion that there were about Close to 3 million people in Jerusalem at Passover. Because not just Jews, but even people of other nationalities. Um, you remember in the Acts of the Apostles, the eunuch from Ethiopia, he'd come to Jerusalem for one of, the, one of such feasts. And these people who had seen Jesus raise a stinking dead man continued to testify to bear witness about him for this reason also verse 18 the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign as we um, consider this passage I ask myself the question and I don't know about you how much do I bear witness of what God has done to show himself to me? Because here is a Savior who shows himself, or God grants, because remember, he's doing the will of God, making God's provision plain for, for, for those to see, for men to see. And here they see and get to see this wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. I thought about something earlier on, but I, 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 I'm trying to think how I can just make it sound um, not crass. <laughs> but I don't know if it's got anything to do with the season, but there's, I've been doing a bit of driving around lately, and you see a lot of carcasses of wild, I, I didn't want to use that word, <laughs> not roadkill. <laughs> but you see these things, they're dead. And 
somebody just calls one of them. And he gets up. And he's alive again. Wow. That is powerful. That is powerful. And he did that with a man. Oh my days. They heard about this. Some who saw about it bore witness. Listen. I was there. I was there. I actually went to see that. I, I know, I know the, the, the Martha's cousin. And so we were there. We were, we were visiting. We were, you know, she got up. She was crying. And then she went to the tomb. And, and by the time I got there, they were rolling the stone away. And, and, and the next thing I heard somebody say, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had been dead for four days came out alive. Wait a minute. He didn't look green or black and blue. No, the man was alive. Really? I want to see that guy. Where is he? Where is he? He's on the way in now. Let's go and see him. And because they heard the sign, they went and met him. They heard that he performed the sign. You know, some questions to think about. How much do I, and this applies to every one of us, I think. How much do I count the things that God has done for me? Or the things that God has done to reveal himself to me? It may not be yes. I mean, let's, let's, let's be real, because God deals with each and every one of us. It may not be as dramatic and sensational as God raising a dead man in front of me. Maybe as simple as God answering my prayer for something you might think is just totally silly and irrelevant. A lost phone, a lost travel card, or house keys, (laughs) or where did I park my car? (laughs) But God answers your prayers. Do you know that God bears witness to himself. God reveals himself. God shows himself. If, 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 if there's someone you can't see with your eyes, but you, he, makes himself, he makes you aware of himself, would you attest to this? Would you tell others about this? Or, oh, come on now, I don't want to look stupid. Or, oh, no, if, if, I, if I start sharing things like this now, Man, my street cred would just go down. Seriously. People at the office will start calling me loopy. Hello? If God has revealed himself to you, if God shows himself to you, how much? What worth do I place on what God does to reveal himself to me or what God shows me? And here is an example of people who just would not be put down. They wouldn't be put down. They wouldn't be discouraged. Because right in the next verse, in verse 18. Sorry, verse uh, 19. The Pharisees said to one another, You see, you're not doing any good. Look, the world, the whole world. It sounds like a moan. (laughs) The whole world is now going after him. Everybody's, is it, I mean, is it... (laughs) 
Is it everybody? Well, it is, because this is a massive crowd of people who gather for Passover. The whole world has gone after him. They'd already determined in their own strength, listen, against good counsel as well. Because just a few chapters back, we, we heard Gamaliel, one of their own, saying, listen, guys, there, was, there, were, there were a few guys before now, before this Jesus guy, they were popular. You know, they were number one on the charts. But when the Judas, what was the guy's name, Judas or Judas, when this guy died, that was it. The movement was over. This other guy got killed and that was it. The movement was over. So let's just approach this thing wisely, yeah? Leave this Jesus guy alone. If it's not of God, it will pass. But if it is, hey, <laughs> let's be careful so we don't find ourselves fighting against God. It's better for one man to die than die for the nation than for us, than for the whole nation to perish. They determined that amongst themselves. But here's guys who are thinking, man, we're not having that. <laughs> we need to really get hold of this guy. But what they didn't realize was they had been, they had, the, 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 the priest at that time had prophesied about how Christ was going to die. He was going to actually get crucified by this lot who were determined to stop him. Nevertheless, bringing God's plan to come to pass for salvation. Bringing the Passover, the true Passover to the true altar in God's presence in heaven when Jesus is crucified. Now, <clears throat> we'll see here, um, just thinking about this, scripture is full of examples. It's full of examples of how God reveals himself to us. And here, um, with these guys who are thinking, well, we best stop this guy. Let's stop him by force. I think there's something for us to learn here as well. And um, in thinking about this, I'll just keep, make this very brief. I remember one time attending a course. This was actually a church growth program. Because here are these guys thinking about how they're going to protect their lot, their corner. Where the guys who have the corner on spiritual things in Jerusalem or in Israel. So we're going to stay in charge. Once we take Jesus out, that's sorted. We'll keep the back door shut. All these guys who are converting from Judaism to whatever he is, this Jesus fella, we're going to put a stop to it. And we're doing it by force. But here, um, this course I was talking about, the course was titled, um, it was a church growth thing, and it was titled How to Keep the Back Door Shut. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, what is this about? And the idea was basically applying principles of customer service, making sure children's church is great. So you'd have probably have children in that room full of Barney, um, Dora the Explorer in costumes and all kinds of, you know, all kinds of gimmicks and things just to get people to stay put, make the music fantastic 
fantastic. You know, make the music experience lovely. So that when people come here, they have a wonderful experience. Like McDonald's. We want to make sure you always have a wonderful experience when you come here. I'm not thinking the experience shouldn't be wonderful. (laughs) But there are things that we cannot do by our strength. There are things that we cannot do in our own ability. There are things we just have to um, see God's provision and accept it. God has given us Jesus Christ. It's the crucified Christ who we preach. Um, I tell you what, as basic and as essential and as weak as the message may seem, let's do well if we haven't really accepted that testimony or haven't really accepted that message of the gospel to take hold of it. Then you can see and know the power that God provides in the gospel. Because after Jesus was glorified, after Jesus was raised, he gives the word out and Paul, writing to the Romans, says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to them that believe. So it's not going to be the music. It's not going to be the, 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 the wonderful experience of making church seem like a holiday camp or making it attractive in the ways that the world would want us to make it. But it is actually the Christ and Him crucified and the things that He instructs us to do. So, no surprise then, the world is indeed coming to Jesus. Verse 20 to 22, John gives an account that there were some Greeks among those who were going up to, the, to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And as usual, Philip came and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. Um, in reading John, right from the gate, you get the impression that John's audience is largely Greek. It's largely, his, his, his audience is wider than just to um, the people of Israel. Going by the terms he uses, where he talks about the words, the word became flesh, and so on. And here, mentioned specifically, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. In a sense, the whole world, not just the Jews, are believing in Jesus now, but even the Greeks. Guess what? These guys are Passover, don't have any rights, as much as the Jews in terms of taking part in um, the rites at Passover. We learned, I remember some time ago, we learned in Ephesians that God has removed the wall of partition that separated, okay, these are Jews, the rest are not. In which category we would belong? 
I think I've asked a question here before. Any Jews in the house? You're half Jewish. Okay. <laughs> but taking part in some of these rites were things that were reserved for them back then before the cross as God's elect. But now, we all are we all are the elect of God, even by virtue of what Jesus Christ, as we will see, goes on to do on the cross of Calvary. As we will see, he goes on to do on the cross of Calvary. So, uh, even in this, can I just say something practical for us? You know, there is a temptation. I must admit, I faced that here. As, I mean, as part of a fellowship like this, I faced that here. There was a temptation um, in a fellowship like this where we were exposed to God's Word. We're exposed, we really go into the Word and, and, and look at it and flip it around, flip it over to know what Scripture is talking about. It's that temptation to just, you know, when we see others who we think... For example, we might just be in the middle of a crowd at work and there's people talking about God, about Christ, about religion, about spirituality, to just sit back and like, hmm, what do these guys know? Let's see, what kind of thing are they talking about? I'll just wait like the wise old sage so that I can correct them when they start talking out of point or put them right as if to big myself up like yeah I'm the one who knows it what do you know we can face that temptation very easily I mean I, I can't lie <laughs> struggle with that for a long time but you know what here's what these guys do Andrew some Greeks here who want to see Jesus. Oh yeah? Come. Let's go tell Jesus about it. And these guys eventually, as we'll see next week, they're actually talking live and direct with the one who is the Lord of Passover. The one who is the Passover himself. Taking part and having fellowship with him. Wow. Guess what? We have opportunity to bring the world to the Savior. We can just be the lovely, faithful midwives. I don't know what, do they call men who are midwives midwives too? Midwife, midmen, <laughs> midhusband, whatever. And just faithfully deliver. And bring those who are in whom God is about to bring new life, bring them to the Lord. Stand out of the way. All the times I never saw the midwife shove my wife off the bed and say, Listen, do it like this. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> they they were just there to help bring to birth. 
And we can do that too. We can be there to just, just let the Lord have his way and bring people to the Lord. So, I tell you what, we too can be part of bringing the world to Jesus Christ. We too can be part of bringing the world to the Savior. When we, first of all, acknowledge our need for salvation. In that way, we are showing the example that we too need salvation. Also, when we acknowledge God's provision that God has made in Jesus Christ. And when we just let give ourselves also to lead people to the Savior. Step out of the way. It's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, because you make provision for us, Lord. And rightly, you are the one who is to be exalted. You are the one who is to be praised. You are the one who is Savior of the world. You are the one who is our Passover the one who gives his life, that we might have life. And you're the one also to whom we ought to lead men and bear witness of, not of ourselves. So we pray, Lord, even as we um, thank you for this account and thank you for the things that we see and can identify with, with those who are here. Lord, we pray that likewise, we will attest of you we will bear witness of you, regardless of the opposition, regardless of the shame that may be associated, regardless of how weak men may think you are, so that we may see and know your glory as you bring men to life in you. Lord, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the privilege. Commit ourselves to you even now as we pray in your precious name, name of Jesus. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.